Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Sandy Garasino, columnist for the National Observer, former Crown Prosecutor, person who got today's Wordle in two. Hello. No hints. How are you, Jesse? It's been a while. It's good to have you back. I'm doing okay. And today on the show, Sandy, I have a take on the Ottawa protests that is guaranteed to please no one. <laughs> I think I actually have it right this week. Uh, God help me. Also, Sandy, the needle and the damage done. How vaccines made Joe Rogan say something dumb, which made Neil Young mad, which made Spotify decide to start fucking around with this podcast and every other podcast. Welcome back to Shortcut, Sandy, where we talk shit about the news. Nice to be here. This episode is brought to everybody by Ken McKenzie, Tarek Jabot, Jess Abraham, Derek Wall, Melissa Stiber, Leanne D, Candida Sinaway, and Nick. Hi, I'm Nick and I'm a news junkie living in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, right near the Canadian border. I subscribe to Canada Land because I appreciate honest, accountable journalism without bias or agenda, which can be hard to find here in the States. America and Canada face many of the same issues. Canada Land helps to shed a light on those issues and has helped me to broaden my understanding of politics internationally as well as domestically. And I have an affinity for Canada since I grew up near Detroit and watched Hockey Night in Canada every Saturday night on CBC. So let's go Red Wings! And I guess Maple Leafs? 
Sandy, last week, uh, Danielle Parody and I took a look at the convoy that was at that time heading towards Ottawa. And we looked at what the media was saying about those people at the time. We looked about what the organizers and the truckers had to say about themselves. And I got worried. And it felt like there was good reason to worry. The organizers, if you dug into them, they had affiliations with fringe groups and the media was uh, was was documenting. People were, were digging in and we found that they had Yellow Vest and People's Party affiliations and Wexit connections. Our listeners even heard one of the people involved in organizing this explicitly say that it would be okay with him if a truck was driven into parliament. So I feared that this convoy, as it rolled across the country, just picking up anybody who also had an angry grievance, that what was about to hit Ottawa was going to be a Canadian version of January 6th. And I think that by the time the convoy reached Ottawa, the news teams that were covering this from the streets of Ottawa, they too were aware of the background of those organizers and their extreme connections. And they were reporting this on the lookout for the signs that this might turn into some sort of riot or the coup. I think that they were looking for signs that this was going to be like a January 6th. And they went looking for signs of that, and they found some. A unifying factor is frustration, wrapped up in an anti-mandate, anti-vax, anti-restrictions message. But for some, the solution sounds like overthrowing the government. Protest signs and Canadian flags, including one that was upside down, were placed on the Terry Fox statue across from Parliament. Brad West, the mayor of Fox's hometown of Port Coquitlam, called it total disrespect. At the National War Memorial, a protester was filmed dancing on the tomb of the unknown soldier. And then, overnight, some people urinated on the shrine. As someone who grew up in Ottawa, as someone whose father was a Holocaust survivor, when you see, when you hear about swastikas being painted onto Parliament Hill, uh, being used to deface property uh, around the nation's capital, what goes through your mind? So, Sandy, that is what Canadians saw and heard in the coverage of the protest over this weekend. And, and those images, you know, like the swastika flag and, and Terry Fox, those were central in the coverage. And it felt like it was building and building until maybe it was going to be like a January 6th and, and they were going to storm Parliament. And then they didn't. And they didn't even seem to try to. And as the dust clears, it seems that what happened was not January 6th, but a big Canadian protest at the nation's capital where a lot of noise was made and it was hard to get the sense. It seems like there were some violent incidents allegedly, but as far as I can tell, nobody got seriously hurt. Certainly there were no big things set on fire or like nobody killed anybody, you know, nobody went in trying to zip tie MPs. I think it's okay for me to be glad about being wrong here. I think I was wrong to fear that this was going to be a January 6th. Well, what is your definition of January 6th? Right now, the capital of Canada is locked down, occupied by a hostile group that is keeping the downtown area essentially closed. Businesses are closed. People cannot go to work. There is an atmosphere of fear and intimidation. The fact that there has been no violence has been due to the fact that the police basically are not enforcing any laws against any of these occupiers. So that's why we're not seeing a major January 6th. I was never afraid of a January 6th. I was afraid of exactly what has now happened. I was saying before they got to Ottawa, 
that all the trucks should be halted at the perimeters and protesters should be encouraged to go into the parliamentary area on foot or however, arrange their own rides, but no large vehicles into the city center. That The perimeter should have been secured at that point. The sheer unwieldiness of the vehicles is what empowers this. Right now, there's only about 250 people, which would not be an issue were it not for the fact that the people who are now in Ottawa are under a siege, largely because of the noise, nearly 24-7 noise. It's unbearable. And the atmosphere of fear and intimidation that is keeping people from their jobs, people that need to get to work so that they can live. So it's just a different kind of January 6th and a longer one. And I'm very concerned about where this is all going to go. I mean, it's a diff- It's a very. I I don't know if on the spectrum of January sixthness, how is this different? Well, there's a difference between people exercising their right to assemble and protest and disrupt, and people who are trying to storm the gates of government in a violent, bloody coup, and occupy government buildings and tie up politicians. I think you're putting too much emphasis on the violent bloody, and that may change if citizens have had enough. Like, this is really, really getting to a tipping point. And and as a woman, someone who has to be concerned about my physical security, when I'm walking in my neighborhood at night and there are gangs of males around doing the kind of things that these guys are doing, it, that is concerning. And you see this, it's all over social media. If you look at the Reddit, our Ottawa thread, you look at what people are describing, they are feeling that they are under threat. And there is fear and intimidation. The jackboot doesn't have to actually be on your neck for the control to be happening. And right now, Ottawa is not in the control of the authorities. It's in the control of a mob. I'm actually mystified why you think that the the fact that there hasn't been bloodshed is indicative of anything. It's pointless. It's useless. They don't. It's the threat of bloodshed. It's possible to take the point that like uh, I don't want to be dismissive or macho about like people feeling unsafe or people feeling the hostility or like even just the noise level. I don't think that's like a mild irritation, right? They're not they- protesting. They are deliberately controlling the city with noise. I'll tell you why we're not seeing eye to eye here or why I have a lot of trouble just accepting this the way that you describe it. I don't hear or see a a lot of difference between the argument you're making and arguments that I heard about how the Wet'suwet'en railway blockades were an illegitimate protest. They were threatening security guards. That's not the right way to protest. They're disrupting supply chains. Same things happen at um, anti-capitalism protests. Thousands of people hit the downtown of a city, and the media will find the one guy with a black balaclava who broke a window, and that's the story. Or at a Palestinian Freedom March, there's somebody who puts a swastika on Israeli flag, and the idea is that these are all a bunch of Nazis. We always cover protests in this way of cherry-picking these things, and there is a tendency on the Canadian media to delegitimize protest and argue essentially through the coverage for the status quo, which is what the prime minister is saying. You know, the media and the prime minister are on the same page. Jesse, it's not just the media. There are 1.2 million people who live in Ottawa. 50,000 people live and work in the downtown area. 
they estimate that there are 250 protesters now which have controlled the entire city and the police cannot move them. They did not get a permit. They are parked unlawfully. There's none of the usual kind of things that go on at a, at a capital city of a country. People come and protest all the time. But, you know, I hate to be a stickler, but you can see now why there are rules. And democracy actually depends on the fact that we as a people are accepting of rules and guidelines. Why? Because other people's freedom matters, not just the protesters. The protesters are all about freedom, but they are not about anybody else's freedom. They're really only about their own freedom. And not only that, but people are feeling unsafe. They are feeling truly unsafe. And I just like, I just, I, I'm sorry. You, you know, you can, you can have your last word here, but like, this is not an interesting line of debate. I got to tell you, first of all, I draw a distinction between a massive, by Canadian standards, massive protest where uh, estimated 8,000 people. That is not massive. The Pride Parade is bigger. 8,000 people for a nationally advertised protest that got on Fox media, that got Joe Rogan, that got the whole Trump world going on about it, that was had worldwide coverage. That yes. was 8,000 people. No, I'm sorry. That's not massive. That's actually tiny. No, you, you can't have it both ways. And there was a desire to have it both ways to minimize that this is just a fringe. It's, it's really nothing. There are over 100,000 people who opened up their wallets and gave over $10 million. We don't even actually know about the sources of a lot of this funding. It's not like the GoFundMe is incredibly transparent. There's a whole lot that we don't know about that. And in fact, I th would very much like to know a lot more about how $10 million was raised. You know, I find this a worthwhile conversation, not because we're squaring off in terms of nothing I say should be confused with a defense that this was a great thing or a support of the protest. But in the news business, you have to report when something happens. And what happened was not that a dozen people had Confederate and Nazi flags or that somebody peed on a statue. What happened was that in the biggest incursion from government on the day-to-day -day lives of Canadians since maybe World War II, over the course of two years, the public generally grumbly was compliant and accepting of regulations that you might say became increasingly arbitrary. And the question as to where the public's limit was, when would the public push back? That happened in Ottawa last weekend. It was a galvanizing event. I believe we'll look back on it as a watershed event where not just a unite the right kind of a thing, but anybody who has had enough or is anti-Trudeau, or is anti-lockdown. It all came together, and the right, as you know in Canada, has been diffused and uh, chaotic and, uh, and unruly. And certain politicians took a gamble in embracing this protest, and it would have blown up in their faces if anybody had gotten killed or if it had gotten really bad. But instead, it's triggering a leadership change at the Conservative Party. So for, to try to minimize this, like this was just a nothing protest. But it is not representative of public opinion. And the reason why it has been so successful as an act of political theater, first of all, it was not organized by truckers. It was organized by, as you know and has described, it was organized by extremists from the Alberta separatist movement and other racial purist people 
it comes out of a history of racism and the Wexit movement. They have exploited truckers. They do not represent truckers. Truckers have always been a small minority of the 8,000 people that came. There were a few hundred truckers that do not represent truckers. Anybody who looks at the makeup of the crowd knows that this is not what truckers in Canada look like as a general rule. It doesn't represent truckers, but trucks are incredibly good political theater. Imagine if all those people had been on bicycles with their little bells. But it wasn't. It was a kind of a brilliant protest. Brilliant theater, but it's not like it's important as a movement. It's important as a movement because an extremely tiny number of people have brought the capital city to its knees with their horns. And the vast majority of people who went to that protest, when they see on the news that there are a bunch of white supremacists and swastika flags, they just think we're garbage. Because I actually do believe that for the vast majority of people who went there, they do consider themselves freedom-loving people who went to a peaceful protest and had a... There's an amazing clip, Sandy. So there's this woman in, in the crowd, and she's doing a selfie video. And she says, you know, look at all these happy, joyful people, you know, partying and celebrating freedom. Everybody... Does this look like a bunch of white supremacists to you? The lying media thinks we're all a bunch of white supremacists. And she asks a guy. I need to know what a white supremacist looks like. Are you are you a white supremacist, sir? Yes, I am a white supremacist. All right. There you go. It's, incre- it's like this moment, like if we can excuse that woman, her ignorance and innocence up to that point that she doesn't know who the organizers were or who she's in league with. Well, we're seeing on video the moment where she realizes, oh, shit, I actually am at a white supremacist protest. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd hope that she would up and leave, but I doubt that she did. But here's the point that I want to make. If that woman was the kind of person who would leave because she doesn't want to be at a white supremacist protest. And if she doesn't share the illogical, you know, you're making assumptions about the kind of freedom that she values. What if what she wanted to protest was she feels like the curfews and the school shutdowns are arbitrary and they punish children and BIPOC people and lower income Canadians. If she wants to protest workers' rights, rapid testing, sick days, greater subsidies for factory workers and first responders and uh, essential workers, factories, warehouse workers. If she wants to protest our government for really leaving small businesses out to die while handing record profits to massive corporations. If she wanted to protest all of those things, there is no big national protest for her to go to. And what's your point? I mean, most people, most Canadians are peaceful, law-abiding, and they don't join something. Most Canadians, I mean, I would like a shot of the Canadians who were not at the Ottawa protest. This is not something the Canadians tend to do. I mean, one of the tell words in this whole thing that really fascinates me is the number of times people talk about being patriots, who the patriots are, which is a very interesting word because that's an American word. So it's like this is really, in a way, the insertion of an American form of protest here. To me, it's no coincidence that given all the relationships that you and I know of behind the scenes, 
that all of a sudden we've got Donald Trump at a rally on U.S. national television talking about the so-called truckers, who are only a minority of these protesters. I'm old enough to remember when this was all supposed to be about empty shelves, which, of course, it wasn't. Nothing about this is, is honest and actually straightforward. It's all a kind of operation. There's some kind of theater going on. I just want it to end. I want people to be able to move freely and goods to be able to move freely. And can we please just try, all of us who have been struggling so hard for so long through so much hardship, through this pandemic. I just want us to please have some relief from all of it. You want it to be one way, but Sandy, it's the other way. It's the other way. And you said it yourself, like, this isn't going away when those trucks leave Ottawa. Like, Russell Brand boosted this. Elon Musk boosted this. Trump boosted this. Fox fucking news. There's a Simpson meme shared by Ted Cruz. Our media, granularly focused on the things we were focused on, missed the point, missed the big picture. They saw the point, and then they decided to stick with what is of interest to Canadians. We became irrelevant. Our version of the story isn't going to matter in two days, that, that there's too much honking in downtown Ottawa. And 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 the, the enduring thing, what I want to say is, your hope, which I think is heartfelt, and I, I hear you that you want to go back, you want this to be done, the energy of these people returning to their homes, feeling victorious, feeling completely misrepresented in Canadian media, but totally validated by international media, with a war chest of $10 million and uh, a, a supposed uh, base of 10,000 strong people uh, as funders and 8,000, whatever people who were there, that energy ain't going anywhere and it's got more of a shape and form than it did before this. And that, to me, is the story that was missed. Well, the story that I think is missed is that we had an election. We had an election during the pandemic and 60% of Canadian voters voted for parties that supported mandates in some form. These people do not want to accept the results of the election, and they are goaded on by the official opposition, by Pierre Poilievre. Even Aaron O'Toole supported them, and now, of course, he's paying the price. And I don't think it's like, oh, the Canadian media missed the story. The Canadian media reported on what mattered to Canadians. And it's very interesting to me how little impact all of that foreign, you know, the Joe Rogan, the all of that noise has had very little impact on the public perception of what is going on and who is doing what. Canadians overwhelmingly want this over. And yes, those people are going to feel energized and victorious and all that sort of thing. I don't know where this is going to go, but it is an incredible fail of the Conservative Party. You don't have to like it, but it happened. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. 
Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Sandy, as a service to the listeners of this show, we duly note news items which might otherwise escape their attention, which require due notation and frankly, which deserve it. What do you have to duly note today? Well, segueing ever so slightly from our trucker rally subject, Jesse, what I'm very concerned about is there's been an incredible vacuum of information about what's going on at the Alberta-Montana border at that Coots uh, border crossing, where apparently Canadians have been effectively held hostage. It's been making the rounds on social media with not very much um, media coverage of a group of Punjabi truckers, all vaccinated. They're on the American side. They were had health issues. They were there for days, for days, um, unable to get food, to get supplies, and all being kept hostage by these supposed freedom-loving people. And, and we, our media, we did not get eyes on this group, and we still don't have eyes on what's going on there and who's been affected. I'd like to know a lot more about that. Duly noted. I'd like to duly note a media story that popped this week. Jamil Giovanni is a, uh, a radio host who uh, did the thing where you get fired or you leave your media job and you say, ah, the woke mob got me. He titled his post, Even Black Men Can Be Fired for Not Being Woke Enough. Part one of five. Mercy. This is a familiar song right now that, that uh, you know, yeah, they knew that I was a conservative black man, um, but they, they, there was so much pressure. I was not the liberal stereotype. I think that's weird because you don't hire Jamil Giovanni wanting the, the liberal stereotype. I think that the market value of his punditry is like, okay, this is a conservative guy and he's a black guy and he's going to make uh, these arguments in a different way than people are used to. I think that was the brand that iHeartRadio wanted, but ultimately they ran into some trouble. And he's going to give us copious, copious documentation as to how he was, you know, censored and curtailed. But the thing is, you know, to the people who are sharing and reading his tell-all of, of how the cultural shift to talk radio is, is censorious and too woke, you might get the wrong idea. Like, the show, like, it's conservative talk radio. And to share, like, one clip in particular, this is like a transphobic clip. I, I think what you'll hear is not necessarily, like, what will clock is, like, hate speech against trans people. But what you're going to hear is he's got this author on, author Abigail Schreier who thinks that, quote, the transgender craze is seducing our daughters. In many cases, they are people born female 
who have experienced sexism, say, or homophobia, in many cases they are lesbian, and they're not quite comfortable with the fact that they are gay, and so this is a way for them to, in some ways, opt out of being a woman or opt out of being gay. So the author is entitled to their argument and their opinion, but this is language that arguably just removes the races and dehumanizes people, and it's being published by a major media company that has its own anti-discrimination and equity policies that has its own policies for its own trans employees. So I think we're just hitting a point where the incompatibilities between those things is just getting called out. Uh, It's talk radio, man. It's so bizarre to hear that talk radio is too politically correct. Anyway, duly noted. Hey, Sandy, do you remember that sitcom from the 90s news radio with Dave Foley? Yes. Then perhaps you will also remember on that delightful situation comedy, the character Joe Gorelli, the handyman, the kind of hunky lunk who was a little thick in the head. Not the strongest player on the ensemble cast, but uh, I kind of remember Joe from news radio. You remember Joe? I kind of remember Joe. Whatever happened to that guy? It's a tough business, showbiz. You know, one day you're on a big network sitcom And the next, you're like, I don't know, eating worms on some reality show. It's a harsh business. Uh, But sometimes sometimes things can go a different way, and you could end up being paid $100 million by Spotify because your podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, has become the biggest podcast in the world. Sandy, everybody knows that last week, Neil Young and uh, also Joni Mitchell pulled their music from Spotify, maybe because they are polio survivors who understand that vaccines are real and save lives and are a miraculous gift. And they didn't appreciate that the same company they're in business with as their music distributor, essentially, is also spreading misinformation via the Joe Rogan experience. You follow the story? Yes. What's your take on this, first of all? I have like a weird bunch of diffuse thoughts on this, but I'm, I'm kind of curious what you made of this controversy. Well, my thoughts about it haven't really crystallized too much because I, I don't I don't think that Spotify people are are thinking of of this I think it, of Spotify as like a Facebook or like a Twitter as if there's some sort of censorship being involved I see Spotify more like a network and it does have some responsibility for what it's it hosts on its platform I mean it it has decided to give Joe Rogan this a gigantic microphone. And he has done untold, unbelievable damage with that power. I think it's totally fine for Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and any other artists that want to join this group. I don't know how many artists actually have control of their publishing rights or have control of their body of work in the way that Mitchell and Young do. So all of this to me is just totally fair game. But one of the things that I think it really highlights is how much We always want to analyze these new problems with internet platforms using old formulas. Oh, this is what a publisher is. This is what a media outlet is. This is really a utility. The Spotify is just a utility. And in fact, these new internet platforms are something entirely new. And I think that we need to need to have a new 
way of thinking about them. I'm going to be watching closely what people like Kara Swisher um, at the New York Times, who is, you know, she came out of the recode world is, and is probably the preeminent technology journalist. I'm going to be following her views on this very closely. Because I think that I, I think there is a certain degree of responsibility that goes with these big paychecks. I noticed that uh, Joe Rogan had, on the one hand, pretended to care a lot about this. He issued a public statement, but I don't think it's going to change anything that Joe Rogan does. He is, he is one of the most profoundly and deeply irresponsible public figures out there. And that's not going to change, I don't think. I look at this from the perspective of a podcaster, of course, and... You know, when Spotify moved from just hosting podcasts like thousands of other apps, you know, podcast listening apps, we make Canada Land available on RSS. It's just a universal open format for a subscription. Anybody is welcome to scrape our feed and offer it through their app. And if they got some ancillary business model where they got ads in the corner or they're selling subscriptions to other stuff, by all means, we do well because that gets us however many more listeners each app gets us. And it's always been the deal. You do not touch our content. You don't touch our content. You're free to scrape our content and offer it through your app. Don't touch our content. Now they moved into a different kind of podcaster when they started to buy Gimlet and Joe Rogan, and then they are a publisher, no different than Canada Land, except for the fact that they have, you know, gazillions of dollars and a massive, massive audience and all that. So I think it's totally fair now that you're a publisher, you know, I wouldn't want anyone going to Spotify if they had a problem with what's on Canada Land, you know, come to Canada Land. If, but okay, yeah, you're paying, you're the publisher of Joe Rogan, uh, take the fight to Spotify by all means. But I noticed something in the shambolic attempt to weather this PR crisis, which I think they'll do just fine. Now, this is like when one of the Kardashians said, oh, Snapchat's over, and then the stock dips for like a day, and smart people buy it, and then it, just, it doesn't actually have any impact. But in trying to get through it, Spotify was like, okay, okay, uh, we have a policy on COVID. We, uh, we got one, uh, just magically, today, we finally have one. <laughs> we finally, after two years, we have formulated our, our position. Yeah. And they said, okay, here it is, here it is. We are working to add a content advisory to any podcast episode that includes a discussion about COVID-19. Now, that's vague. They're working towards it, and it's not specified. Are you talking about the podcasts that you publish, or are you talking about, I mean, the language here says any podcast, and the listener doesn't know what's a Spotify podcast or a podcast that they listen to on Spotify. It's just a podcast. If they're saying that they're going to throw warnings, content advisories onto our audio feed. That is a new thing that has never happened before. And I don't know how they're going to do that. Are they going to have some algorithm that listens to like a million podcasts a day? And then if you say COVID or if it's in the show notes, they're going to add a content warning to our podcast. Now, I don't have any problem with the actual information of Spotify saying, we have an information hub with good health information about COVID. Check it out. Like it's, it's not the message itself, but as a rule, as a publisher, I do not allow the app to put audio on my feed. That's not going to fucking happen. 
But that's what they're saying is going to happen. And it's part of a larger trend as you talk about Twitter and Facebook and all these companies that have just wanted to be looked at as dumb pipes that are not responsible for the content. Well, they actually are increasingly becoming publishers, or even if they're not directly publishing, we're holding them responsible for what they publish. And they the, they are, like, the public is asking them to be responsible. And I don't think that we're asking ourselves enough questions of, like, wait, 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 wait a second. You want Twitter and, like, Facebook, the Zuckerberg guy? Like, these are the people who you want? to be responsible for your content? My view on all of this for many years now has been the piece that's missing in all of this analysis. I think what we really should be looking at is actually product liability more than looking at it from that, well, are you a pipeline? Are you a publisher? All of this, like I say, these kinds of analyses are built over decades of old thinking around radio, you know, when radio first came on and then television and then, and, and all of these media companies, they're encrusted with old assumptions about, well, what this means and what that means. For me, the biggest fail in the technology world has been the failure to apply old standards that have stood us in enormously good stead of consumer protection and product liability. Probably one of the biggest changes, and it's almost invisible, people are, have almost zero public awareness of the degree to which manufacturers' liability has made us all safe. It's how we got seatbelts in cars. It's how we got building codes. Makers had to stand behind the safety of their products. That's a little bit different to overly that over a media company. But when a media company is using its own uh, platform and profiting from the dissemination of information that kills people, that is killing people, I think that it's time for a deeper analysis of, well, maybe they should pay some damages for the, for, uh, the deaths and the illness that is caused by people who are persuaded by this. Maybe what we should be able to, you never hear about lawsuits against Facebook because Facebook is, you know, everybody has heard about the Section 230 thing. That's Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. That is one of the pillars, the architectural pillars of the internet. And it came in in the 90s and it protected all of these companies from any kind of liability. And I keep coming back to that that if individuals could sue these companies the same way, which they cannot, they're protected, they're shielded, they're immune from lawsuits by individuals, individual users and individual consumers. If we could sue these companies the way we can sue car manufacturers and any other product maker, somebody, a chainsaw, somebody who makes a, somebody who, who makes a baby crib is liable. If we could sue these platforms, we would see a very different analysis shaping out. And that is, I think, the biggest reform that needs to happen. And that's not about big government regulating these companies. Big government took off all the protections that consumers used to have and do have with actual physical real world products. Um, and, I, and I would like to see the courts settle out these things. And the courts start to say, if, if these companies had to worry about that, this would not be a problem. 
I'm for more of an antitrust solution for reasons that we don't have time for today, but I hear you. Sandy, all of this could have been avoided if they had just spun off Joe Gorelli and given him his own sitcom. <laughs> Let's all just go back in time. Can we please all go back in time? <laughs> no. <laughs> God help us all. That shortcuts. Thank you, Sandy Garasino, for joining me. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Um, I can be emailed jesse at CanadaLand.com, and I do read everything that you send. Sandy Garasino, where can people find you? People can find me in the interweb pages of the National Observer and on Twitter at Garasino. Our website's CanadaLand.com, and our sister show, Commons, just wrapped an epic, extraordinary season looking at Canadian mining. These stories are like jaw-dropping. If you've missed this, go listen to it. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb with additional production by Tristan Capicione. Our associate producer is Noor Azrieh. Our managing editor is Kieran Oudshorn. Theme music is by So Called. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Hey, if you like what we're doing and you want to receive a premium version of this show, of all of our shows, if you want a t-shirt, tote bag, we got wonderful stuff. We would need supporters. It takes a moment. Just go to canadaland.com slash join or click the link in the show notes. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get. For just $2 a month, that is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.